Thanks for joining Impact Boom. On this episode... We need to grow and change as societies, but we need better business models with which to do that. And those business models are what I call the AND. So AND business models use design very deliberately and thoughtfully to ensure that the problem they're solving is quite well defined and that in these business models, the social inclusion is uncompromising and that environmentally they are decarbonising models and that they do have an economic dividend that pays back. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 404 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering and contributing to initiatives and enterprises causing positive transformation locally and globally. And today we are speaking with Monica Bradley. Monica is a non-executive director and investor with sustainability, technology and investment experience. The cornerstone of Monica's executive experience was her ability to deliver revenue growth, new business formation and digital transformation in challenging and uncertain environments. From the boardroom to the startup space, Monica is at the forefront of advocating for and designing the transition to low carbon, inclusive, impactful and innovative new economies. On today's podcast, we will discuss how Monica is advocating for, working within and co-designing the transition to the low carbon, inclusive impact economy and why growth without a compromise is so important for our collective future. Monica, thank you so much for joining us today. Sarah, I am super excited. Impact Boom is one of my favourite groups and movements within our wonderful inclusive and transition economy, and I'm just honoured to be here. We are thrilled to have you. So to kick off, could you just jump right in and tell us a bit about your background and what it was that has led you to where you are now? It starts with DNA. My mum was a social entrepreneur. She was the lady in the outer suburbs of Brisbane that in the 70s and 80s, if someone had a problem, they went to and she fixed it. Sometimes it fixed it by giving them somewhere to live. Sometimes she fixed it by helping them get a job. Sometimes she fixed it by talking to someone influential to help that person. In my everyday life with my seven brothers in our house, we always had extras. So I saw very much that living. My dad was an environmentalist. So his job was to show us how food grew in our backyard and how the circular economy worked, where we never wasted anything and took us on adventure rides through nature and gave us a love and affection for the natural environment. So I guess at my core, I'm a product of those two things. And then I've just had a really fortunate life. I'm someone that takes opportunities when they come. I've got that unusual skill set of being both commercial and curious. 
So being able to pull things together, that led me to my 20s in New York City, where I went and worked on behalf of Australian agricultural companies, selling their products into big US consortiums and redesigning how those systems work. So they were fairer for farmers and lower carbon and better quality products. But it also taught me how the world works. I sat at the corner of commerce from 24 until 32 and really absorbed all the best of that American entrepreneurial spirit, and then chose to come back to Brisbane, which is my hometown, and say, great, we're ready. But Brisbane wasn't quite ready. To be fair, Australia and the world weren't quite ready in the late 90s. So I spent then some time going to uni, learning how to code, learning the best of entrepreneurship and business practices, which I'd learned in New York, but I codified in education at QUT. And then I went into the wild world and did a whole bunch of work around government reform. Like again, being curious and commercial, I did a project inside of the federal government around welfare reform, and that taught me how poorly the machinery of government serves the people in our society that need the most. So that sat with me. So I had a lot of commercial experience, then I got the government and really firsthand experience of dealing with people on welfare. And then my husband that was a pilot lost his job after 9-11. And so we moved to Dubai. And I spent nine years then working in and around the sovereign wealth funds, deeply understanding their investment in both social and commercial ventures. We spent a lot of time in tech, but I also spent a lot of time in sustainability because they were building a lot of greenfield sites and a lot of those investments were getting the best sustainability people from around the world to come. So I had a masterclass in that. And then I also saw what they were doing in their social and charitable investments in the sovereign wealth funds. So that was great experience at institutional finance. And then I decided to come back yet again to Brisbane in 2013, 2012, I came home and this time I knew I was unemployable. So I've just made a portfolio of things that I feel like I am good at, that I can help and things that I think our society needed. Now I spend my time in the transition space. I think the next 10 years are the most critical time ever in our history as humans and environmentalists. And we have so much transitioning to do, but there's such an opportunity. That's my theory about the power of and business models, but also this growth without compromise. So I exclusively choose to work with and support organisations that are changing the world through decarbonisation, social inclusion, but that these organisations also deliver economic return. That is not impossible, right? There is economic value in everything that all our social enterprises do. It's just in the current economic system, often it's not measured and valued. So I'm all about that. And I'm super enjoying it and I'm enjoying working with people like all the impact boom companies to bring that to reality through proper companies. Yeah, it's such powerful work. You just said something earlier there about this growth without compromise philosophy. Can you tell us more about that? I'm a bit of a theorist, like I study history because I like to learn what we did well that we can take forward and what maybe hasn't served us well. I used to sit overseas and listen to successions of Australian governments preach about 28 years of uninterrupted economic growth. Aren't we fantastic? And then at the same time, I would read record levels of suicide, record levels of degradation to our environment. And what really distilled in my mind was that's not my form of success. 
if I'm bragging to the world that we're the best people in the world because we're economically great, but we're leaving people and the environment behind, that's not success because we're creating problems over here that need solving. So something in the economics is not adding up with the other investments. So that's where I started thinking about that. And then I started to work more deeply with social enterprises, also with impact investment. I got a, a lot of exposure in my early days to the B Corporation movement. So the idea of the power of business to be a social change agent. And then you go and study history and you realize business was originally created in order to actually deliver the social good that you are delivering, but it's been corrupted in some ways by the industrial age that assumed that the factory model of mechanization was this universal uplifter of our entire society. And look, the industrial age has given us many great things. It lifted the mechanism and it assumes that every piece of our society is mechanistic. And as we now know, the natural systems are cause and effect. They're not mechanistic. And our social systems are full of great humans. So education and health, these are human systems. They're not factories. A hospital is not a factory. A school is not a factory. And so we have to find new and different ways to engage. And that's what I found in the B Corp movement. It's what I found in my impact investing cohorts. It's what I found in impact boom and social enterprises. And so I've naturally gravitated to that. Growth without compromise to me is not an anti growth agenda it's we need to grow and change as societies but we need better business models with which to do that those business models are what I call the and so and business models use design very deliberately and thoughtfully to ensure that the problem they're solving is quite well defined and that in these business models the social inclusion is uncompromising and that environmentally they are decarbonizing models and that they do have an economic dividend that pays back in the process. Many people say that's impossible. It's not impossible. And even the philanthropy models are based on this as well. We are bringing whole new forms of capital. So to me, growth without compromise in short are the business models of the future. The industrial age models were what I call the or models. Make money or do good or look after people. And so an investor saw any contribution to the economic, to the environment or to people issues to be a discount to their return. I don't believe that. I truly am at the centre saying the best models for the entire society are models that include the and, and that's growth without compromise. Absolutely. And a world where everyone wins. Well, just we have our needs met, right? Yeah, and yeah. people flourish and yeah. systems flourish. And yeah. ironically, in this important year of the voice and truth-telling and a pathway to acknowledgement of the traditional owners of the land that we meet on, which is the Yugger and the Turrible people here in Brisbane, it's the and model and the growth without compromise very much aligns to traditional practices and the systems that they used in their L-O-R-E, yeah. but also in their natural systems. And yeah. so a lot natural of my time now, correct, yeah. is how do we bring that wisdom of yeah. 60,000 years of uninterrupted survival on our harsh country here in Australia of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders and help those businesses and that wisdom get intertwined in our new business models? Absolutely. As a female leader in the social impact and regenerative world models, I would say, and new paradigm thinking, new paradigm systems, what are some of the challenges and opportunities that you're seeing 
If we look at the statistics, less than 5% of capital across all its sources, whether that be grants all the way through to venture capital, actually gets to women today. And that's a universal problem all over the world. I watched it for the last 10 years being on investment panels, and I thought maybe the solution was to get more women onto panels. It certainly helps, but it's working at a glacial speed, so it's never going to fix the problem. The reason I want more money to come to more diverse people, and in the first instance, women would be the first layer of diversity, is because women are solving problems that are invisible to many men. So they're really important problems. And the second thing is women are much more masters of transition. In an average life of a woman, we transition 10 or 20 times more than our male counterparts that have the luxury of going to work, usually uninterrupted, for somewhere between 30 and 40 years. They do a technical craft where they can build wealth, but they can also build expertise over time. The nature of the natural cycle of women is we come and go from the workforce because we're often supporting our family commitments, other things within our area. We are the nurturers and that's not universal, but it's often, and that doesn't always have to be child wearing. It can sometimes be elder care. It can be care for other siblings. It's often that caring role, which again, in our economy is very poorly measured. When women come and go from those roles, A, we have less capital at the end of our retirement. We earn less during our time because we come and go. But the expertise we've created, ironically, is the very expertise we need specifically for this next 10 to 20 years to help us transition. Because the transition women make every day in and out of I'm a mum, now I'm a sales executive. I'm a change maker helping my softball team or my neighbour next door. And then I'm a frontline worker in the health sector. Those transitions that we make are just part of our DNA. That's the same transition we've got to make thoughtfully through the environment, how we procure, how do we build communities that are different? How do we build companies that are different? All of that transition to an inclusive, low carbon, but economically prosperous and thriving community actually is really in the skill set of women. These women are starting businesses at record rates. They're solving good problems. They're solving largely problems ignored by other segments that are well-funded. And they're using their natural abilities like our Indigenous people do to bring their problem solving in a different way. That is this inclusive triple bottom line thinking. The natural assumption for me is, okay, the system is broken, not the women. So how do I change the system? I bought some global models here. We started with the CEO, which is now called Coralist model, where we raise a debt fund amongst a bunch of women. And then we identify women that are aligned to the sustainable development goals. And we invest interest-free capital to those women over a five-year window and those women repay the money. Over time, what we're aiming to build there is a global $1 billion fund that is in perpetuity. So long after I've gone, like traditional owners think, seven generations forward, this investment or this value will keep creating more value because we'll hand on a legacy of a circular regenerative capital source. So that's one thing we've tried. We also then look at the aid industry, where Australia is the largest investor in what we call orange bonds. Orange bonds are bonds that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange, designed by a very thoughtful social entrepreneur in Singapore and are funded and designed by ANZ Bank. 
Australia bought $180 million of orange bonds. I wonder what they invest those bonds in. Those bonds are invested in women entrepreneurs in the developing countries. When you ask them about their theory of change and why that's a great idea for the Australian government, they say, oh, because the theory of change is women entrepreneurs deliver 10 times the return than a male entrepreneur in developing countries. Oh, why is that? Because they have a better management of risk because they actually are very focused on the return and they're much better with debt and they repay the debt and they're solving real problems that uplift not just their business but their entire community as they solve this problem and then they employ more local people which adds a multiplier to it and I said wow I went to the treasurer of Queensland and said could we raise some orange bonds for female entrepreneurs in Queensland because the same theory of change that applies to the international bond market also ironically applies to the Australian market so we're in a discussion about how might we have an instrument that looks like an orange bond that might then free up some capital women are not looking for a handout we're looking for financial instruments and systems that work for us and then the third element is from all of that great expertise, we last year held a women's investment summit and good people like you came along, Sarah, and we 150 women from all these different sectors that are entrepreneurs and investors, banks, superannuation funds, economists came together and we talked about the economics of women. And we worked out where the system needed to change and what could we do together as 51% of the population that we could start to move the systems change needed. And so out of that has come some remarkable networks of national and international women. We've identified hundreds of organisations that are supporting women in small and large ways to support them to change and grow businesses, change and grow social enterprises, change and grow charities and not-for-profits. And we've actually stopped thinking about all these as transactional boxes and said, what we need is a lovely, clear path. We need relational capital that works across the whole dimension. And we call that blended capital so that we can help women in whatever they describe their business or their activity as to find the right support at the right time. And then they find partners on the journey through these well-funded but small organisations. So we're not trying to build a big organisation. We're trying to build the connective tissue and we're building the advocacy so that the economists and the government people and the businesses understand the economics of women, which is really powerful. Out of that is coming some great projects and some great initiatives. We'll do more research. We're actually at the moment measuring the economic opportunity of women getting equity and funding into their businesses of all sizes. And that's a really important episode. When they did that economic measure in Canada five years ago, they came up with $150 billion of economic opportunity by purely getting equal funding into women that men were getting in their instruments. On the back of that, the Canadian government set out and over the next 10 years will invest $7 billion in helping fix the system and stimulate and catalyse the system's change to bring that capital to women. So we're on a journey to do the same thing for Australia through our Women's Investment Network. And we'll bring many exciting things over the coming months that will help us empower many of the listeners to your podcast. And if anyone wants to help on that journey, I encourage them to reach out. It's a collaborative model. It's a collective model. It's all about mutuals. The underlying assets will all be either not-for-profits or social enterprises on a mission to change. This is not about exploitation. It's about regeneration. Wow. Remarkable and super exciting for what's to come. 
Monica, I'd love to just keep on chatting all day, but unfortunately we need to wrap things up. So I'm just wondering to summarise or to give our listeners something to go home with to start maybe getting into these concepts more deeply or into things that you found really shifted the needle for you. What would be some books or some resources that you would recommend to them? Wow. I read a great book that's called Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner? It's written by a beautiful French-Canadian woman called Katrine Marcel. For people that are studies of economics, go and look up Adam Smith. He actually wrote a book called Wealth of Nations back in the beginning of the Industrial Age. And believe it or not, many of the economic measures like GDP and things like that we today hold up as the global measures were actually designed by Adam Smith. It turns out his mother cooked his dinner and she was never paid for that. So the very man that designed the economic measures used the invisible and unpaid labour of his mother in order to survive so he could design those measures. And that is a really good example of how there are large tranches of invisible economy things happening that we need to change. I love Kate Rainworth, the donut economics, Stephanie Kelman's work on modern monetary theory so that we're looking for flow of money as opposed to Rich people earn money and then they store it in immobile things like bonds, houses, real estate, assets, right? They're immovable. So the whole economy is running on about 5 to 10% of the world's wealth because most of the wealth is stored and it doesn't keep moving and creating energy. We believe in the growth without compromise models will get capital to flow so that capital in all its forms, whether it's a grant or philanthropy, instead of it being a destination to be invested in and then stored, it actually creates more economic flows than it starts. All of those models are great. Mariana Mazzacuto, The Value of Everything, anything by the Professor Leonora Risi from Melbourne University, anything from the ANU Julia Gillard Centre for women. They're doing great work with the economics of women. And watch out for a conference we're going to hold in Queensland called the Economics of Women, because we're starting to measure women as an asset class, but women as participants in society. If we start to value the things that are not paid for are invisible today, like childcare, healthcare, education, transport and logistics of households, human support in a community sense. If we start to measure those, we're actually going to see the productivity of Australian women is remarkable. It's just the paid productivity that we are measuring that is too narrow. People like Jim Chalmers is starting to write about this as a treasurer. I'm super excited about that work and I'm sure it will lead to systems change. Just stay active. Go and visit my website at monicabradley, I think, .net.au. Have a look at what I'm talking about there and keep watching this space. Let's be optimistic together. Right. And let's use that optimism to fuel this transition that we're going through and find your tribe. There's many more of us now than there was a decade ago. There's more capital. Gen Z's and millennials are coming on board. They understand these models. We're starting to influence politicians. So many of the more progressive parties are understanding this. Don't read any of the Murdoch newspapers. That would be my first don't because they're not really talking about the real world. They're still peddling a very awe model. They're about exploitative capital. They're reporting on that. That's who their base are. And that's fine. They're not bad people. They're just people that haven't been enlightened like you and I have. Very valuable tips there, Monica. Thank you so much for your time, your generous insights and your wisdom. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again very soon. 
Super. And remember, it's a team sport, right? We're delivering all this connectivity. So give what you can and ask for what you need. Absolutely. Thanks, Monica. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.